Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Mats Ramström with me. Welcome to my podcast, Mats. Thank you very much. Uh, Mats Ramström is the president and CEO of Atlas Copco, a world-leading provider of sustainable productivity solutions, such as innovative compressors, vacuum solutions and air treatment systems, construction mining equipment, power tools and assembly systems. Atlas Copco develops products and services focused on productivity, energy efficiency, safety and ergonomics. And it was founded in 1873 and has today a global reach spanning some 180 countries and more than 50,000 employees. So it's a huge company that you're responsible for, Mats, yeah. really, uh, with lots of history. And uh, I know that connected to your appointment as uh, a CEO earlier this year, the chair of Atlas Copco's board of directors, he said that you are a very appreciated leader who is living and uh, breathing the Atlas Copco values. So I'm, I'm very curious, what are those values and how do they guide you and, and, and other people? I think it starts very much with uh, respect on the individual level that we, uh, we challenge people and they challenge us in the management and that's, that's allowed. And it's a very delegated responsibility where we say we want to be very lean at the top. We want uh, the people that are close to the problem or the opportunities, also the likeliness that they have the solution is, is greater to us. So I think it starts a lot with that and, and a lot of things is bottom up in our company. Of course, it's um, it's a very financially driven company. I should not hide away from that. But everyone is treated in a fair way, and, and I think everyone is giving an equal opportunity. For example, we don't we don't have career planning at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. So everyone needs to look their own way, and every job is open. There's no one that is selected for a job, which I think is great for people. They know that I can you know apply for anything that I like. And at the same time, I can get advice from the management and say, if I'm going to apply for this, what kind of skills do I need? Mm. So I think it's, a, it's an equal opportunity company with a very delegated responsibility. Mm. And uh, how has your life actually changed since you took over in April as uh, CEO? I mean, you've been in the company, of course, for long, but still, it's a new role. I've been in the management team uh, since 2008, so from... from uh, from a work balance, uh, it's not be a big change. Uh, but of course, uh, you have now the working with the board. Uh, mm. It's new to me. And mm. with uh, meeting with uh, owners and, uh, and analysts uh, is a little bit new. It's just been an extremely hectic year, I would say. It's a lot of people pulling. You need to really make sure that you're working on the right things. It is a 144 years old company. What are the pros and cons of leading a company as Atlas Copco? Uh, I think the pros are uh, the value base, as we discussed a little bit before, that gives a little bit of, of uh, mm. um, guidance for every individual how, how to operate. Um, Atlas Copco had uh, the guts to uh, change when things are good, just like now, and we are trying new things all the time. Um, probably... I mean, we recruit internally a lot. 
Uh, I think 85% is internal recruitment. So you bring a, lo- a lot of those values along all the time. I think it's more the size of a company like this. is uh, It's difficult to reach out uh, all the time. And of course, we, mm. we do make mistakes uh, and we try to correct them. Communication is difficult. Mm. Uh, and I see that in a big company, but I see a lot of, of benefits. Uh, I mean, uh, Atlas Coca have turned around a lot of business and we always come with new innovations. And I think that's, that's what everyone knows that. You had an extremely strong uh, quarterly report. Mm. So things are really going in the right direction. But what are the challenges, things that you, that you hope to achieve that, that are st- still not there? Um, a great company needs really great products. It's, it's difficult to mm. deviate from that. If you want to be sustainable over time, you need to bring something new to the market all the time. And now I see um, one thing is, is digitalization. I know it's extremely trendy to talk about that, but I see right now that there is a lot of solutions out there for, for digital that is almost looking for a problem. Mm. Uh, and I think it should be the other way around, that, mm. that we're really trying to use digital to, to achieve something. It's great to have a, a long-term vision for it, but mm. you also need to harvest a little bit where you stand today. And I think mm. that's the way we try to use digitalization. Mm. And... Um, a lot of big companies are, of course, delivering uh, uh, very well on, on everything that, you know, people talk about ESG and the CSR aspects and so on. But how do you make sure that that doesn't just become a, we must do this kind of checklist behavior rather to kind of incorporate that way of thinking into uh, the business models, mm. uh, the whole chain? For us, it starts with many companies that's something we need to do this. Uh, but then you need to build that part of the, the culture. We have 27 different divisions and they are responsible. This is in the line. It's not a separate function. Mm. Uh, it, they are measured on this as well as they are measured on the financial performance. Mm. And I think that's one of the ways that we make sure it actually happens in reality. Mm. And um, you have not seen Atlas Coco in a lot of sponsor events and Mm. and things like that. And the reason for that is that many of our employees is, is dedicated to a program called Water for All, where um, on a monthly basis you can uh, give part of your salary and the company matches that times two. Uh, mm. And uh, of course we use our drill equipment and we go to Africa and Asia. And it's employee driven and mm. it's for schools, hospitals in, in different areas. Now, I think that kind of helps a little bit to thinking around mm. sustainability mm. environment. Mm. Uh, so people are really dedicated to this and it's, um, it's becoming quite big, this uh, effort we do. Mm. But going back to you, Mats, what is actually driving you? I mean, what, what is your, your uh, passion? And, and when I say, you know, passion, I, I'm just thinking about uh, an, a podcast that I did with a professor in Milan and he said, you know, passion comes from the Latin word patire, which is really kind of you know, it's coming from suffering. Mm-hmm. You like and you're so dedicated to something so much that you're even willing to suffer for it. So not just something we like and we're kind of generally interested in, but mm-hmm. really, what's kind of really triggering you? What is truly important to you that you're willing to kind of fight for and that you love to see kind of flourish? For me, it's I grew up playing a lot of sports myself and most times team sports. And I... I still enjoy that feeling 
when you have gathered a team, you have you know set your own targets, you have worked hard to to make it happen, mm. and then you have a, an outcome. Uh, you feel you're winning or, or you're successful in a way, mm. and to do that together with other people, I still think it's the the greatest feeling. Mm. And to build these small teams that is really eager and passionate about mm. something, I mm. think you can accomplish a lot. I, I do not believe in the top-down telling everyone what to do. Mm. Uh, so I would say my passion is really to the people and, and the working with these teams. And, and uh, people grow. When you challenge people, they can do so much more than they believe themselves. Yeah. That's really true. And I think that's the, the main... Um how could I say, what I see at least, the main challenge with everyone today, that there is this kind of sickness that people think that they're not enough. Yeah, right? yeah true. And it's like a virus. And, mm. and, I, and it's not coming only from ourselves. I think it comes from the environment, from all the signals we, we see around us. We have these appraisals. Once a year you get to meet your boss. It seems a little bit... Um, it's just not enough, is it? I mean... You should get feedback and, and more of a coaching type of environment where you mm. exchange ideas. And I'm not sure that the boss always has the best ideas. I think it's a two-way street. Yeah. Uh, and if that could happen, you know, on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, uh, and of course it needs to be a little bit structured so mm. that we always move forward, that would be so much more appreciated. And mm. I don't think anyone would like to have a boss that calls you and checks what you have done. I mean, mm. then you pro probably have hired the wrong employees and maybe you need to address that. But to get that passion and drive uh, and make things happen. And a company of our size, if we were telling people what to do, we would be so extremely slow. And that's what I think you see in a lot of companies that mm. if you're trying to bring, you know, centralized decisions, uh, you're trying to find compromises, walking out of those meetings, you will have uh, decisions that people are comfortable with, mm. but they're never passionate about. So they will do just enough. If mm. they have created the ideas themselves and, and really yeah. has to drive, it's something totally different. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, really very true. And also somehow to provide people with some, let's call it easy wins as well. So not everything is up in the stars, right? Yeah. Uh, no. So that you have the pleasure of feeling that, okay, this we achieved. Uh, and the rest you can work on. We are not so good at celebrating in Tatlas Coco, but I try to remind <laughs> myself to, you know, celebrate the small milestones as well, because it's so important to mm. get recognized and, you know, someone just saying good work mm. instead of saying we can do more. So exactly. It's, uh, and we are a little bit, you can do more, but we try to say let's stop a little bit and say fantastic, this was good, great. Yeah. And also to remember that, uh, you know, to do it on yourself as well, in the sense that if you're the CEO, I mean, who is going to applaud you, apart from, of course, the stock market and the chairman, hopefully, and the board. But still, you know, uh, it's, it's a little bit of an inner dialogue one has to have within, with oneself as well, maybe. Yeah, you're probably right. And um, I think you need to go to the office uh, or travel and enjoy what you're doing. If you feel just the pressure from mm. all the measurements that you can look at, you know, it's it becomes a little bit short term as well. And yeah. what we are trying to do is, if I initiate something today, it might be you know, happening mm. in a year's time, or, or, or if it's a product, it might be three years from now. So you need to be a little bit long term and, and uh, not listen too much and just mm. you know, do what we do really well and do it a little bit better. 
Uh, you need to be a little bit uh, have a thick skin there sometimes. Mm. Uh, would you prefer if if uh, if you let's imagine you have a choice for all companies to become not measured quarterly but rather you know by biannually or something like that? Would that help no, in I any think, way? Or uh, it's a two-way street there. It's, I think the quarterly reports keeps us on track to make the right decisions. But you need to allow for long-term strategic decisions as well, which could, of course, impact the quarterly results. But mm. I love reading and some of these uh, autobiographies of Tetra Park and Ikea and this. You know, they've been going on for quite a number of years before they become very profitable. Mm. Um, when we do investments in a new market, China, for example, mm. uh, new products, it could take a little bit of time before you get up to speed. Mm. And you need to allow that. And, and now, luckily enough, mm. Atlas Coco is financially strong to be able to handle both the short-term perspective mm. and the long-term perspective. And I think you need to make a lot of short-term decisions to reach your long-term decisions. So mm. I don't mind the quarterly. I'm just saying that the ones that are yeah. you know, owning shares in Atlas Coco need to have a, a longer horizon than a quarter. What um, turning points in your life have influenced you the most? Or like, maybe you could call it a transformational kind of moments when uh, things kind of changed. <laughs> Private, <laughs> privately, I think it's it's uh, starting a family. I think it's very humbling and, and you get another perspective on yourself and your values. For sure. Which I think is, is great. Um, professionally for me, me and my wife, we moved to Canada back in 2000. And we were, I think we were very brought up in the Swedish environment. This is the way we do things in mm -hmm. our society and in business. And coming to Canada, you might not think it's so different, but it's, it was quite a big difference and a very positive one. We learned a lot about, you know, there's different ways of doing things, mm -hmm. and both in business and privately. And we still have friends there. And then we moved to the UK. That was even more top down. <laughs> so that was a little bit more difficult, but still we enjoyed it a lot. And I think everyone should take the, the opportunity uh, to work or live abroad if possible. I know a lot of people hesitate and say, well, it's not good right now. And maybe I should do this later in my life, but it's better to say yes and try something. Um, sometimes we fail, but um, from those experiences, I think I, I, I bring a lot to, uh, that we still, you know, Okay, we need to go there and learn. Uh, we mm. cannot sit in Stockholm and judge how other markets are working. We need to be present yeah. and we need to be local. That's very important. Mm -hmm. well, everybody's talking now about diversity in all senses, not only origin and, and, uh, and so on, but rather uh, the diversity of opinions, the diversity of personalities, the, all these kind of types of diversities that we are looking for. Mm -hmm. What is your take on that for your company? How do, you, how do you work with that in order to get the best out of everybody and get lots of perspectives? I don't exactly recall how many different cultures we have in our management teams, but it's, <laughs> it's huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have 1% of our business in Sweden mm -hmm. and we have 10% of our employees. So that gives the signals. Yeah. Then the top management, they all grown up in the product company and the sales companies. And of course, they are too much European and maybe too much male. Uh, and we are trying to address that. But we bring in and we ask uh, Asians and Americans to come and work. And 
that's why we have this open um, mm. job market as well. That you know, you should really go and learn something else. It's um, extremely important. And mm. in terms of gender diversity, we, we are not doing good enough, and especially not for the future. You can see that females have higher degrees today. Uh, you can see that they have better grades. Mm. Um, so of course, if we cannot, and it's not just good. It's just you know to make profitable companies well. You need want to be able to bring the best talents. Mm. Uh, so if we need to make our company more interesting uh, and known, I think, because mm. we have so much in favor, mm. being so international and, and giving everyone the equal opportunity. So mm. we need to do a little bit more of our homework there. Mm. So if, if you would say to someone who doesn't know anything about your market and you just meet them in, on, let's say, some kind of a, you know, social occasion or so, mm. uh, and in one sentence you want to say something that is extremely exciting about your company, what is it that you say, actually? I always tried to say <laughs> that I was in the compressor business and the tool business, but that didn't work out that it well. didn't excite no, them, no. That not all. But when we start talking about our customers, Oh. And maybe we have the coolest car manufacturers in the world working with us, Porsche, Jaguar. Uh -huh. And uh, so that is one side of the business. We are in gold <laughs> mines, we are in the semi-industry in Asia, mm. we are in the airplane business. Then people said, what? what do you actually do? What kind of product do you have? So that creates a little bit of interest. So, and it's fascinating that we are mm. also in 180 countries around the world. Mm. So um, that creates a lot of interest. When we actually mm. bring people to us, We talk about the technology, it's a lot of software today, and uh, you know where we are in the market, at our end users. Uh, then I think that people say, well, this is a great company to work for. Mm. But before we get them to us, it's a little bit more difficult. Mm. And uh, what um, long-term solutions for business do you believe in? Of course, you work in an environment where we need to take responsibility, but at the end of the day, you need to bring new technologies. You need to bring uh, something really valuable to the customers. And today it's, um, in, in the past I think it brought about relationships. Relationships are still important, mm. but it just becomes so much more professional after mm. 2008 and people judge you on uh, your performance and, and how you act and the, the experience of working with your company. Mm. So I think it's extremely important to be really targeted on bringing real values. That means that it's not good enough just to bring your product. You need to understand the customer's process or even the customer's, customer's processes mm. to bring real value. And otherwise you will only be there to talk about price mm. if you end and you know, come in very late in that. Mm. So and to bring values to shareholders or environment, you need to start with your customers anyway. Mm. If you're going to be sustainable mm. uh, over time, you mm. constantly need to bring something new that is real, mm. not marketing. It's, mm. it's real what we do. Yeah. Uh, I think that is the key. Mm. But do you also have the opportunity when you work with your customers to also influence them and maybe inspire them, maybe you know, even give them ideas that they didn't think about, whether it's on a values level or on a practical level? Absolutely. And that's the only way why we are invited today. Otherwise, they would do their research on the internet mm. or they will talk in their groups what they mm. want. We need to come there and bring. It could be seminars. Mm. Uh, I can give an example. Right now, we have, a, we have rented a big, huge truck, mm. which we have filled with equipment to talk about digitalization mm. in operations. So mm. 
custom can come out there, see it in real life. Mm. It's really something we can deliver today mm. that they can feel it and, you know, it's there for them. Mm. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. If you cannot bring the value creation and the next technology and understand how they can utilize it, we don't bring much value. So it's really moved quite quick, I would say, since 2008 uh, after the recession then, that mm. people are getting extremely professional. Mm. And the purpose of, of if, you, if you think about all companies in the world, I mean, what is the purpose of companies today compared to some time ago? I don't know if it's changed that much. Um, the purpose of, of our company, at least, is to continue to help our customers. I will get back to that. Otherwise, we don't have a real purpose. But I think there might be different in the way where people would like to work, the way we bring energy-efficient uh, products to the market, mm. uh, the way we work with the program like Water for All, the mm. way we treat people. I think that attracts uh, uh, a new generation to say, this company is actually trying to do something good. Mm. But we don't hide away from that we are trying to make a profit. That's not it. We need mm. to be bring true values. Mm. As, as a result of everything you do, of course. Yeah. And uh, if we dream a little bit and say that you can have, you know, all resources, all the possible doors are open to you if you kind of elevate and think in that manner, what would you innovate or then change? You know, whether be it at Atlas Copco as a group or on a larger, bigger scale? That's such a great question, but such a difficult one to answer. Yeah. Um, maybe I see this, uh, we touched on it earlier on the digitalization. Mm. Um, it's starting right now and it can be it can be a real game changer for a lot of companies. But I think sometimes you take it too long. Everyone refers to Uber or yeah. something that they changed the business model completely. But it's so much more that we can help with the customer interface. How can we how can mm. we utilize the technologies to make it easier? Uh, for our customers, uh, how can we um, work in a way that operation is more agile, help the operators to, to you know, assemble different products on, on the same line. Mm. And of course, uh, if we can go from uh, schedule maintenance with our customer to a predictive, but really understanding data in, in a professional way to help them out and, and share that value with them. That's something I really like to speed up and, and do more of uh, and do it quickly. Um, if it's more of a dream scenario, I think, uh, what about uh, maybe a solar-driven compressor with zero emission that you can place anywhere? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh, you, could, you could work on that. Yeah, we, we are working. <laughs> you yeah. are working on that. Okay. <laughs> no, exactly. When it goes from diesel today in uh, portable compressors mm. to electric, because you don't want diesel in the city, so that is moving and mm. emission regulation is changing. So there's a lot of mm. daily challenges or opportunities, depends on how you look at it. Mm. What about cooperating with, I mean, even with the companies that are kind of competitors in order to move things forward faster? Maybe not with direct competition, but um, mm. for example, in, in our mining industry, it's quite clear that customer would like to go emission-free. Mm. They don't want you know, diesel emissions in a mine, uh, which is understandable. Uh, they also want it to be um, a, a digital mine in terms of 
securing people and equipment when they're blasting, mm. for example, mm. uh, to make sure that people are in the right uh, place. And uh, we don't have all the core competencies to do that. Uh, so here we, on the analytical side, we said that's going to be or is a core competence to read our machine data and so mm. on. But then they need on you know the GPS positioning systems, traffic controls. Mm. Uh, we need to find partners, and it's not that we need to own those companies in any way. We mm. we can for sure partner, but that brings speed as well. Mm. Going forward, I think you will mm. see significantly more partnerships, mm. and that is to pick up speed. I think. Mm. And uh, is there anything in particular that uh, that you you do to attract uh, the younger generation? to your company, is there a lot of competition for good talent um, I think business? we are, we've been lucky enough to attract a lot of people and I think it's uh, mm. mouth to mouth or word, you know, it mm. uh, brings along uh, enough talents for us. Uh, but in Sweden today, I mean, I know that we have a lot of unemployment, um, but we are still challenged to find people with the right education for service technicians and mm-hmm. things like that. So it's, it's a mix match a little bit mm-hmm. uh, right now. Mm. I actually just think that we would like to tell that Las Coco story a little bit better to people. Yes, we do engage in universities and things like that, but mm-hmm. I, I like to see them come to us and say, this is the company you would be working for. And mm-hmm. I think when we have done that, I can see yeah. uh, great results. What do you think young people are looking for, uh, at least if they are you know, in the engineering business or what is it they look for in a company? Yeah, at least if I look at uh, both and I, you and I have sons that are 16. Uh, Of course, they use a lot of of support. Uh, I see how my son works in school. It's a little bit different from uh, the way we approach things. Mm. I think they would like to work for a company that's actually trying to to do well. Uh, even if it's step by step, I think they might mm. avoid the companies that they see, mm. well, this is not so good for the environment or mm-hmm. this is they don't treat people in a fair way. Mm. Um, that is important. But I believe that if I hire people with the right talent and professionalism, mm. I don't think it's a generation thing, but I don't think people like to be told what to do all the time. They like to create a little bit their own future and have a more of a coaching environment. Mm. And I think it's, uh, there are steps to go uh, in different cultures. Mm. Sweden is in the forefront here when it comes to engaging people in decisions. And, mm. uh, they mm. say that our way of taking decisions is rather slow, which I, the, the, but the consensus the, yeah, style. Yeah, the consensus style is a little bit slow. But on the other side, when people have been so engaged and they have spoken their mind, they've been listened to, they're so engaged when we actually make things happen. Mm. So what we lose in speed up front <laughs> to decision, I think we gain in speed actually when things start to happen yeah. compared to maybe other cultures. So mm. I worked and traveled a lot. Um, the engagement and, and listening to people is uh, so much stronger than the local culture. Everyone likes to be part of a, you know, a winning team, be listened to and, and be part of something successful. And mm. I don't, if you're Chinese or if you're Canadian or Swedish, I don't think it matters that much. Mm-hmm. And if you um, could give, you know, share a piece of advice to to leaders, however you choose to define those, it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, all CEOs or so. But in any case, people who are leaders, uh, what advice would you give them? I mean, I have done uh, many years in Atlas Coco, but every time I start a new job, 
I start uh, on the people side to make sure that I have a, a passionate team that is, is willing, you know, to uh, actually just work hard. And if you're passionate mm. and you work hard, it many times beats uh, pure talent. Mm. Uh, so I would really focus on building, uh, building the team, make sure that I surround myself with people that uh, want you to be successful. Uh, and mm. Uh, mm. it's a dialogue that you start immediately, I think. Mm. And uh, if you have that team, mm. the right things will happen. So mm. if it's only one thing, I would start with people. Yeah. That's a good, good, very good advice. But how do you do that? I mean, by being yourself, of course, and by saying things that you believe in and kind of trying to transmit this inspiration and, and passion of yours. But are there any other... If you think about uh, a team of sports, you say, let's, I grew up playing hockey. You need a goalie. You need people that are defense. You need someone that is scoring. And of course, what you learn from that is that you cannot hire mini-mats if I surround myself with people that have the equal mm-hmm. competences and, and so like myself. I think it's important that we share values. But uh, to bring that team together with different talents, mm. it's, it's so much stronger. And uh, suddenly you, you keep on track and, and moving forward, you know, when people are allowed to challenge and discuss things. Mm. For me, I, I start with a very individual discussion, you know. What is your target? What would you like to do? What engage you? What do you think is so fun? How can we, yeah. you know, can we make you perform in a better way? Mm. And isn't it a great feeling to come to work and you're surrounded with people that are, are passionate and a smile on their face and think mm-hmm. this is actually quite fun and you don't mm. need to tell anyone to travel or work harder. It's more like maybe you should hold back a little bit uh, mm-hmm. because it should be a little bit of balance. But mm. you'll see that um, that we have a lot of those people when when you pull those triggers and, and let them do a little bit what they think is, is uh, great and, and beneficial to company and customers. Mm. And uh, if you were to give advice to yourself, let's say 15 years ago, mm-hmm. what would it be? Or 10 or 15, whatever is relevant for you. A curiosity, I think, is extremely important to, uh, to develop yourself. Mm. It's uh, probably much more um, fun mm. uh, to say yes than no. Mm. And the yes sometimes puts you in, in a very difficult situation, challenging situations. But you learn from it and sometimes you fail, but mm. it's not so, uh, it's okay to fail because you, you're trying, as long as you get back and you, you try to learn from something like that and move on. So I think the curiosity has been uh, and is very important. I think you should say more yes, try different things. Uh, even sometimes you might not see it's the best thing, but you think, well, let's try this to see. Mm. And you're not always right, right? So mm. it's good to, to listen and, and mm. be curious. And on a personal basis, where do you experiment? I might have a strong view on how things should be done. But if someone comes with an idea that I say, well, they say, okay, try it. Why don't we try it somewhere? Yeah. Let's take a one country, we try this product, or we go yeah. to market in a different way, uh-huh. and we learn from that. And experimenting like that I think is essential. Why, mm. why do you want to take a, you know, a global decision when you have the opportunity to test something? Mm. Mm. Uh, and I really encourage that, okay, well, 
you don't know, I don't know, let's, let's test it. Yeah. And we adjust and we make something yeah. great out of it. What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? I mean, all companies <coughs> in general. Is there one common denominator? Speed is the most. Uh, if you want to be, now I of course engage a lot with Western companies. Uh, if you want to be competitive uh, over yeah. time, you need to move much quicker than we do today. Mm. We need to learn how to move much quicker and to be... Uh, you need to be competitive in China, I normally say. If you're not market leader in China, it's mm. unlikely that you will be the global market leader. Mm. Mm. And then you need to be local, you need to engage people locally, uh, you need to be an attractive employer locally. So I think speed is going to be extremely important for companies. Mm. Many will use digitalization to, to bring up speed. I don't believe in big matrices, uh, slow decision processes. I really mm. believe in this delegated responsibility and trust uh, mm. to bring speed to the organization. Mm. And now you touched upon a word that I think is extremely important and has always been, of course, but now more than, more than ever. And just uh, the other day I was discussing with a woman, uh, Rachel Botsman, she's a professor, and she just issued this Uh, came out with this book, Who Can mm. You Trust? Mm. Uh, how technology brought us together and why it could drive us apart and so on. But mm. it's also generally talking about trust. Mm. Um, and the trust is not some things like energy. It's uh, If it's not there, then it's redistributed somewhere else. Mm. And if it's not in this place, where does it go? Mm. It takes new roots, let's say. And it's all very much discussing also about uh, institutions that we once used to have. And today we have institutions that we could call Facebook, Google and Amazon, mm. etc. That people's trust for those huge organizations is diminishing mm. for various reasons. And it goes elsewhere. And I find it fascinating as a, as, a, as a big company as such. How do you manage trust and so on? And I, I understand you touched upon values being uh, guided by the, the right things and so on. But on a larger level, what do you think is the most important thing to create trust among people and among companies? Trust is a long-term thing. You need to work with people for quite some time. It's easy to break trust. Mm. I don't think you can have a second agenda or a hidden agenda. Uh, I think mm. you need to be very transparent in what you do. Mm. Uh, I think that builds trust. And they see that if I take a decision together with you, Mm. and something goes wrong, if I back away from that decision, that trust is gone for good. I need to back you up if we have decided this together yeah. uh, all the way. And of course, then mm. you are very committed to the next project or mm. whatever it might be. Mm. We work in a way where we say that each employee are extremely important. Everyone should have a, a clear mission of what they mm. try to achieve. And by having the mission, they can also challenge management in terms of what resources and competences they need in my team to achieve this. Mm. By doing this, I think you start to build trust and saying, well, we will listen to you and we will act accordingly. So I think it's a long way. And if you don't, if you try to hide things or you're not transparent with customers or your employees, I don't think trust will be there. Mm. Everyone will be saying, what do they really mean? What is the agenda here? Mm. I think transparency is, uh, especially in the society today, which is so open, you cannot get away with anything if you're not transparent. Uh, if we elevate even higher and think about the whole world as such, what do you think the world actually needs the most at this time? I'm not an expert by any means, but I can see that the businesses today are doing quite well. Geopolitically, I don't think the world is doing so well. 
you have the migration, you have terrorism, you have Brexit, you have leaders that uh, look at themselves as being the most important. Mm. And maybe the business and politicians need to make close some of those bridges to help uh, build mm. uh, the future society that we like to, to live in. If you benefit by destroying the environment to generate profits and not even trying, I don't think that's right. The politicians and business need to come together and you know, make something that is, is real and not positioning themselves, just uh, trying to sort some of these things out. Mm. And I think today it's a little bit dangerous because all these things are going on and it's almost like we, we say it's so difficult that we don't even bother about it. So, uh, mm. A little bit of balance, that would be great, I think. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and once upon a time, there was a strong sense of a company being part of a so society. You see the Paris um, uh, commitment that uh, was made and mm. some countries are trying to back out of that. And I think, and I'm glad to see American companies stepping up and saying, you know, we don't deviate from the target. We will try and we will work on this. Mm. And I think that's great. Um, and we are the same. We, we are we take these things seriously, we measure, mm. just like we do with everything else, mm. uh, and try to improve. Do we always succeed? No, not at all, but we will try again. Mm. Persistence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Mats. Thank you for sharing. So to find out more about Mats and his work, you can head to atlaskopkogroup.com. And uh, please share this episode with your network and friends for impact. And thank you all for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Thank you.